FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 403 of the podcast that goes snick, snick. I'm your host, Jason Venable. This is going to be a bonus episode on, um, basically Jay Explains Cyclops. <laughs> a tongue-in-cheek title there, probably not the first person to say that, but I haven't seen it yet, so it's original to me. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts, on feels fairly obvious, but I, I don't know, an obvious joke. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, there's a pretty, well, first of all, sorry. Or no, yeah, we'll go in this order. Yeah, there's a pretty popular podcast that I'll refer to in a minute, um, an X-Men podcast, and one of the hosts actually got to write a Marvel comic, an X-Men comic. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, so we'll come back to that, put a pin in that. Real fast, I want to take care of some business, some business, um, probably won't see this in the, like the fiend you might I don't know I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work but at the same time this is coming out right before if you go to my Facebook page for the podcast or my Twitter feed at Snickcast um, you should see some links to the alpha episode of the Crossing Swords crossover which is the crossover that I'm doing with the Homo Superior, X Reads, Comic Book Queers, and House of X. All those podcasts are doing it together. And the Alpha episode, if all goes according to plan, <laughs> should already be out now. And it should be up and available for your listening enjoyment. Would highly recommend you go and check that out. Um, I'll be referencing that a little bit as I go through my own Ten of Swords coverage uh, with the Excaliburus. But, um, yeah, yeah, definitely go check that out. It'll be a really cool, it's kind of a really, really awesome crossover we're doing um, with a bunch of podcasts coming together as one show. Um, I think it will officially be on the Homo Superior, uh, on their podcast feed. They're the guys that, that organized this and put it all together, which thank you to them for, for doing that and for thinking of me. I really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so definitely go check that out. But also, so... Speaking of a podcast again, going back to to this this idea of Jay from Jay and Miles explain the X Men uh, getting to write this book. Now, as I go through this, I will not be talking a lot about the the, the show, and there's no nothing negative or, or ill will about that. I just honestly haven't listened to it. I know it's supposed to be a really good show. And I think they're pretty groundbreaking and done a lot of a lot of great stuff and and seem to be pretty accessible and, and also pretty in depth on the coverage and, and all that sounds really great. Um the problem that I I have to be careful with X Men podcasts that are covering similar things to me before I get there. Because I would never intentionally, like, steal any jokes or bits or ideas. But I don't even want to put myself in a position where I could subconsciously, like, bite someone's style. And so, 
So I will eventually go back, because I know I'm I'm further ahead of my flashback episodes than a lot of their older episodes, so I can technically go listen to them and, and plan to at some point. Um, but I don't, since they're covering a lot of stuff in X history that I'm going to eventually get to, that's kind of why I haven't invested a lot in listening to them, just because I don't, like I said, I don't want there to be any accidental, like, oh, well, I heard them say that, but I forgot that's why I heard it, and then I present it as my own idea, and that's just shitty. That's not, that's not cool podcasting. So, um, that kind of is, is my background with, with Jay and Miles. It's, it's nothing like I don't like them, or oh, they're too progressive, or obviously I, that's not a problem for me. Um, you know, it's just that, yeah, it's, it really just is about about content and not not wanting to infringe on anything they might say and and even accidentally present it as my own. So, so I kind of steer clear. It's kind of why I'm glad, you know. That's one of the benefits. Because um, before I started podcasting, I was really into. I really enjoy. I still really enjoy the Danger Room podcast, uh, which is an X Men, another um, uh, not systematic. What's <laughs> Crap, what's the word? Uh, index. Good grief. An index podcast on X-Men history. They go back, they've done everything from X-Men 1, and I think they're up through, oh gosh, um, they're in the Outback days now. I don't remember exactly what issue that they did recently, but they're, they're in the Outback days. So um, I was really fortunate that when I started um, started my podcast, they were still in the end or towards the end of the 60s stuff so I was able to kind of stay you know I started with Wolverine's first appearance ahead of them and then obviously they only do one issue a week you know when and they hit most weeks um anyway it's not really it's supposed to be a thesis about their podcast sorry guys I'm over explaining um but basically I I go at a much faster pace near the nature of my flashbacks and even when I kind of go a little space between flashback episodes I still kind of make up enough ground um I've been able to stay ahead of them not that it's a race or a competition but it's for that same reason I can still enjoy listening to them because I don't have to worry about you know accidentally regurgitating anything and and I'm probably making a bigger deal out of that than I should it's just meant it's, it's well-intentioned and as a sign of respect to some podcasters that I like or have heard good things about in the case of Jay and Miles, and I just really don't want to do anything that would be, I don't know, less than honorable. I don't Whatever. This whole conversation is starting to feel kind of dumb, so I'm going to stop and just move into the comic. Um, but anyway, if, if you've ever wondered about my, my philosophy or my approach, there's a whole way too much information about it. So, uh, but that, that's not really what we want to talk about. What we really want to talk about today is what Jay wrote, uh, which is the Marvel Snapshot X-Men issue, which, I mean, for all intents and purposes, is a Cyclops issue. And, uh, you know, that's why I kind of, you know, their podcast is Jay and Miles explaining the X-Men. That's why I said Jay explained Cyclops. There you go. Let me spell it out for you and ruin ruin the bit, because that's what I'm doing today, apparently. Um, but anyway, uh, the Marvel Snapshots has been a series that's focused on what well, kind of is like Marvels or right after Marvels, you know, the miniseries has been kind of focusing on additional kind of, well, what if the heroes were in the real world? That's kind of what Marvels was about, right? It was like through the, the lens of a photographer, and this kind of has the same 
idea, though, this this particular issue doesn't stick to that real close. I mean, other than the fact that it's a flashback and set in that time period, there's no real connection to the narrative of, like, the photographer or the newspaper or anything like that, um, other than the logo, which the snapshots the O has a, a shutter, camera shutter in the middle of the O, opening or contracting, whatever you call that. Um... But speaking of this cover, before we get to all the credits, this cover is by Alex Ross. And guys, do I have to tell you that it's amazing because it's Alex Ross? But it's maybe even extra amazing because of the color choices made. Um, I would love, and we'll probably Google and see if I can find a version of this without the text. Nothing wrong with the text. It's a cool little logo. I like kind of the, the slanty diagonal uh, font, you know, with the lines, kind of makes it give, it give it a little bit of an old feel, almost like a marquee, right? Almost looks like letters in a marquee, um, and, and it looks pretty cool. But this image is amazing, and it's highlighted by the stark, kind of hot pink background. So you have Cyclops in his '90s costume of of all things, um, which is, of course is the blue costume with the yellow visor and the yellow belts and straps with the X on his left chest. Um, and he's kind of looking down the cover, so he's kind of coming out of the top right-hand corner and kind of leaning over the cover and then shooting an optic blast, which is stark white compared to the pink background. And then there's almost like a, a light effect on the front of his body. So you have all the pink outline of the optic blast and the stark white in the middle, then Cyclops in blue and yellow with the front of him reflecting kind of this pinkish hue from the optic blast and then the background is just solid pink and just it all comes together just color wise looks really really good um it's a great cover so that's going to take us to the inside uh this is technically titled and the rest will follow which is kind of a three line of some of the dialogue or narration in the in the issue um so again, it's written by Jay Edenen, and I hope I said that right. Uh, art by Tom Riley, colors by Chris O'Hallahan, and letters by Tom Orjakowski. And like we said, the cover is by Alex Ross, and the the curator is credited as Kurt Busiek, which of course marvels was his concept with Alex Ross, and so I guess he's kind of overseeing, not necessarily as an editor, you know, because that's... Um, that's this guy, whose name is really small on the screen, uh, Darren Shan. Um, but it's kind of just, I don't know, the, the overseer, the organizer, make sure that everyone stays in line with what he's trying to do, I guess, in the project. I guess that's what, what curator means at this point of the game uh, for comics. I don't, I don't know. Um, anyway, the title page is cool because that is our one connection to the photography. It's a film negative of the cover. And you have, like, the film, you know, the little reels on the side, you know, where, where it has the, the holes where the camera stuff does its stuff, because I know a lot about that, obviously. Um, but it's cool, too, because it's all in pink and black, and with some brown hues, and it looks cool. So this really is just kind of a flashback episode, um, filling in some early Cyclops history, and Jay does a really cool thing here, and and I, you know, I don't know. Maybe as curator, there's some plot outline that was handed off by Kurt Busiek. Maybe like, hey, can you take this and, and fill in the gaps or get us from point A to point B? I'm not sure. 
for all intents and purposes of, of my recording right now, I'm going to credit the majority of the ideas to Jay. I'm going to take that for granted and at face value as a writer. Um, and, and if I'm wrong in overcrediting, then you know, if Jay wants to correct me, they can. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a really cool parallel right out of the bat here this drawn and will come back to kind of be fulfilled um because we start off with the you know the infamous summer's family plane crash right where they're abducted by the shiar and alex and scott are abandoned on earth um thinking their parents have died in this crash and it starts with you know this phrase you know it starts like it always does or, no, sorry. This is how it always begins. Four people climb into a cockpit, strap in, and take off. Something goes horribly, horribly wrong. And it's all in shadow. So you almost... You almost set up the parallel before it's revealed later. Because you think, okay. Marvel snapshots. Looking at, like, the 60s time period, for the most part. Like, you know, maybe starting to move into some of the 70s with the newer issues. But, you know, old, old Marvel history. Four people, cockpit, horribly wrong. You're in the context, you automatically think Fantastic Four, right? I mean, that's what you're thinking. That's where your mind is going on this first page. And then you turn the page, and it's not. It's the, it's the Summers plane. So immediately, and it'll go into more depth as we go through the issue, but immediately there's this, this connection drawn between... Cyclops' family experience and what he remembers about the plane crash, which will be called into question several times in his young adult life and her childhood life as well. Um, and what he knows or thinks he remembers about the family plane crash to when he finds out about the Fantastic Four, th that parallel has already been connected in our story. It's I really like that. It's really cool. Um, uh, some good, good work or Jay, or Jay and Kurt, however that came about, it, it is really, really connects to me as a Marvel fan, and especially as an X-Men fan, and kind of showing that parallel or that inroad into the larger universe, um, which, you know, the X-Men are sometimes pretty separate, and I kind of, you know, when it comes to the X-Men, I kind of want to have my cake and eat it too, <laughs> uh, which I think a lot of X-Men fans are in the same boat, right? We kind of want them to be separate, but also be involved in the bigger stuff, um, and obviously, you know, that give and take, right? Part of being an X-Men fan. Um, but then, uh, he wakes up screaming Alex, and that was all a dream, right? But everyone's like, dude, there's no Alex. You're, you keep talking about this brother that you don't have. You're, you're, I don't know how, if they don't know, I guess they do know, maybe, so that's, that's the part that I got kind of confused about, but I kind of like it. So, as we know, even though it's not actually mentioned in this issue, and this orphanage will eventually be connected back to Mr. Sinister, right? So, is the idea that they don't know... Does the orphanage not... Or the, the, the child home... Does it not know where Scott came from? Like, are, is their information as spotty as his amnesia? Because it refers to he, they classify him as brain damage right after the after the accident. Do they even know about the accident? Do they feel like he's making all of this up? Um, you know, or or do they know that the accident and that his parents are dead, 
But when Mr. Sinister turned him over or he was found or whatever, he did not, since he sent Alex somewhere else, he didn't want them to know about each other. And... No, doesn't Alex eventually... Huh, no, I'm... Let me think, because in Hellions, they just went back to this place. And Alex has... Huh. I thought Alex was actually... I thought they grew up... I don't remember. Good grief. I'm a terrible X-Men fan. <laughs> I'm all the worst parts of X-Fandom rolled up into one package. <laughs> I'm picky. I want everything both ways. And I don't remember enough stuff that I need to. <laughs> Sorry, guys. A problem you apparently will not have if you listen to Jay Miles. <laughs> they they uh, seem to remember everything from what I hear, which is great. I wish I could. Um, yeah, but anyway, he wakes up screaming for Alex and everyone, you know, the other kids, the workers, are all like, uh, no, Alex is not real. We've been through this. There's no such person as your brother Alex, so, you know, go back to bed or whatever. And so he complains about headaches, and there's a lot of really good internal narration at the state home for founding, or, yeah, the state home for foundlings in Nebraska. Um, and there's a really cool scene that almost plays like a TV show, right? Where the scene changes around him. Like, he's sitting on his bed, then it goes to the classroom and the cafeteria. So the, the scene changes around his figure, but his figure is the same in every panel. Um, really effective. As he kind of goes through the narrations of, you know, people say that he was lucky to be found, but he doesn't feel lucky. He feels like he's living like a shadow of a life that and he doesn't have all the answers that it's all just beyond his grasp and he's trying to figure it out and he has these memories that he doesn't know what to do with and you know and just what, what does it say on the last panel on this page he says like maybe I died and just didn't notice so he's wondering like is there some kind of like weird purgatory after the plane crash I don't know so then um we see we get a really nice insight into Cyclops on this next couple of pages. So, he's on the playground, and he goes up to some kids that are apparently much younger, and they're building, like, a rocket ship out of, like, paper and popsicle sticks and stuff, and he doesn't make maybe the best approach. <laughs> I think he's trying to be helpful. They call, they talk about how they want to get the spacemen inside, and he, he's like, oh, it's astronauts. I think he's just trying to be helpful, but it kind of comes off as like a smug correction, and the two younger kids don't really appreciate it, and they, they basically run him off. But then, as he's walking off, two older kids come and, and grab the rocket and, and squash it and break it, and Cyclops, even though these kids just spurned him, I'm sorry, I really shouldn't say Cyclops at this point, this is a pre-power uh, reveal Scott Summers, um, even though these two younger kids just burned him, like in a matter of seconds ago as he's walking off, and kind of told him to get lost and didn't appreciate his input, he immediately turns around and goes back to protect them and stand up for them. And he's, he says, it's kind of like almost like they're his phantom little brothers. <laughs> you know, he remembers Alex, and he may they may say he's not real, but he has these big brother tendencies. I also like to think it's just kind of his heroic tendency, right? Um... Even to the point of, like, defending a world that fears and hates him, right? So, uh, he's not a mutant yet. He's just a kid who 
and got rejected. But at the same time, like we're already setting the tone, right? For not just standing up for your friends and your family, and not even just standing up for neutral strangers, but standing up for people who have actively just, you know, abused is probably too strong of a word, but have just actively shown negative attitude towards you, and you, you immediately jump back in to protect them and stand up for them. That, to me, is so X-Men, and so Cyclops, when Cyclops is written well. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I thought that was a really nice scene. Um, really sets up some good character work. Now, before he can come to fisticuffs, he gets a really, really bad headache and passes out. And then the teachers blame the bullies. They think that they they hit Scott. Of course, he just passed out because of the headache. And we get some foreshadowing, right? As he gets the headache, his his vision goes red before he passes out. Um, of course, he wakes up and no one's around. They're all in the, in the common room watching TV. And that's where we see the Fantastic Four. We get a nice double-page spread here. Um, just brightly colored Fantastic Four fighting Namor when he had the seahorn that called the giant whale out of the ocean. And the giant whale's in the background. I forgot his name. whale or something. Something Stanley-ish like that. Um, so you have that across like, the top three-fourths of the, the double-page spread. Just that one big, bright, colorful scene. Then in the bottom, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight panels. One focusing on each member of the Fantastic Four. And still kind of colored. And the other one zooming in on Scott as he's just glued to the TV screen. So we have, I guess it's not really necessarily a member each, though it could be for sure. Um, we see Mr. Fantastic reaching up in the smoke, and then we see Scott kind of in a crowd. And then we see the thing with something strapped to his back is doing some cleanup, and we see a close-up of Scott's face. And then we see Invisible Woman grab the horn, and we get really close on Scott's face. Then we get a close-up, so I guess we don't technically see a close-up of the torch. But we get a close-up of one of the fours on the Fantastic Four uniform, and then a close-up on one of Scott's eyes as it starts to turn red. Um, and he's just, wow. And all the kids kind of develop this hero worship of the Fantastic Four, but Scott really gets into it. He, he has trouble identifying it, but he feels like this somehow gives him purpose. Uh, maybe it can help him find the answers. Um, he's, he refers to it as, as an event that splits his life before and after, which I thought was really cool. Um, you know, last week none of us had heard the word superhero, and now we're all obsessed. And a couple of times in this issue, uh, Jay points to Scott kind of being a little bit OCD. Like, he grabs onto something like a bulldog, gets a little obsessed, doesn't let it go. There's a few times, and that's mentioned, this is one of them, right? He just kind of dives into this fantastic four obsession and identifying with them. Um, you know, he, he says they shouldn't change anything, but somehow they change everything. Just by existing, they change the whole world. That's pretty cool. And, um, and then we get the connection kind of spelled out, right? Then we alluded to on the first page. Uh, the connection between what Scott's memory is of the plane crash to the Fantastic Four origin story. You know, four people in a cockpit. 
uh, something goes wrong, you know, the cosmic rays, and then come back changed. It's classified, did I come back changed? Is there meaning in this? He needs desperately for there to be meaning. And he kind of becomes more separate from the other kids, and he just kind of pours himself obsessively into learning about the Fantastic Four. He's got, like, pinups and magazines and cutting out newspaper articles and all that stuff. And he sees their heroism with a responsibility. Um, and it's really cool. He said they could have done anything. They could have just gone back to their lives. But they had to do this. They help people. They It has to mean something. I need it to mean something. And we've already seen Scott be heroic. That tendency is already there. He already stood up for the little kids, even though it didn't go well and he passed out. But, but that tendency of, of he- heroism or of at least being Big Brother. And by the way, for all current, future X-Men writers, the idea of Cyclops or Scott as just a consummate Big Brother to everybody is a killer idea. You know, uh, well, by the time this comes out, oh, I've been the other day, so you have to take for it. But, um, Georgie from Scalabros and, um, Grant from Cable Guide were having a discussion about uh, the most recent issue of Hellions. Um, and we're talking about kind of the, the Scott and Alex interaction at the end of that issue. And we kind of ended up, we kind of went over some different ground, but kind of eventually ended up on, you know, not really being satisfied with the way Alex has been treated the past couple of years and really not digging his inclusion in the Hellions book. Um, and so we kind of pitched the idea of, well, what would be a good Alex Havoc book. What, what, you know, whether it's a solo book or a team book, like for Don of X, how would we, if we don't really enjoy him in Hellions, how would we prefer to see him? And all three of us, I think, had some really interesting ideas. Um, you know, kind of being the little brother, the other, um, and some, some of these have been connected on in, in the past couple of years, but maybe in a way that can be done a little better or different. Um, you know, the underdog, but not necessarily being the lovable loser. You know, um, I didn't, I didn't dislike Rosenberg's, um, what was it, astonishing as much as some people, but, but Havoc, man, he very much was just X-Men Hawkeye <laughs> in that series. Um, and I don't necessarily want him to be that, but I do like him kind of having that chip on his shoulders, younger brother, but then also like finding his own identity as a leader and then specifically focusing on mutants who are on the fringe or, or outcasts even among other mutants and helping them find their place in the confidence. Like that's a concept I think Alex works really well as. Anyway, the point is, Cyclops, as a, a symbol or whatever, is kind of the big brother of everybody on the planet. Like that's, a, that's a hook, I think. That, that, that can really be something. So hopefully... Uh, and we see that from time to time, right? I think we saw it in the first part of this issue. And that's where he kind of latches on to wanting to be a hero, wanting to be something more. And he decides that that's what he's going to do, but his headaches keep getting worse. Um, but then we see other heroes, right? Uh, we see newsreel of Ant-Man and Iron Man and Hulk and Spider-Man and the Avengers. And yeah, uh, Scott just really dives into this this culture and this phenomenon, and and he asks the question. And he's trying to make connections, right? He's trying to make make sense and purpose out of his life, and 
without, you know, with his quote-unquote brain damage. And he says, I can't help but wonder what they were before. And so we have, the, like, these these TV and newspaper panels of all the Marvel heroes, uh, you know, the first round of heroes, so to speak. And then the bottom of the page is Cyclops with Alex, you know, falling out of the plane. Sorry. I keep mixing, I keep interchanging code names and real names. Sorry, uh, X Men dilemma. Um, Scott and Alex falling out of the exploding plane with the you know the parachute. Um, and that's what we were before. What do we go to now? Um, so then he goes to the the library. He's checking out some books, and the librarian gives him a flyer for this uh, agricultural futurism center. It's going to open in town, and the, the keynote speakers for the ribbon cutting for the opening are going to be Reed Richards, Anthony Stark, and Peter Corbeau. And so Scott's like, heck yeah, I'll be there, and he's ready to go. But um, before that, he gets sent to a specialist, which may or may not be Mr. Sinister, I don't know, in disguise. But he goes and he gets his ruby quartz glasses and says, I may look like a dweeb, but the headaches have stopped, so... Then he goes to the the new museum or the new center, and it's just one guy in crowd. He just wants to see Mr. Fantastic speak. This is really interested, and a guy in a giant praying mantis attacks, <laughs> and the heroes go into action, and Scott almost gets killed, and he falls. There's a big. They break open the floor, and he falls underground under the building, and is trapped with a bunch of people. And he can hear the heroes, Iron Man, Mr. Fantastic, fighting. And he doesn't know what to do. And he hears police sirens and fire truck sirens and, and people coming to help. But no one can hear them. But he somehow finds this piece of glass and sees like a little beam of light coming into the space. And uses that to try to reflect and, and hits a, luckily, uh, fortuitously, hits a fireman in the eye. And they, of course, come get him out. And, you know, by then, all the heroes are gone. They, they've beaten the bad guy. They've left the cleanup to, to the civil servants and um, have skedaddled. They've skadooshed right out of there. Um, the Cyclops feels like he did something to help. Uh, he did something to, to be a hero. Um, and he feels like, you know, what he needs to do now, then, is to be prepared. To, to be prepared to do what he needs to do to help people. And... And just kind of, he just says, I want to be prepared for life. And so he goes to check out a bunch of books. The librarian says, what are you, what are you trying to do? And he says, well, I want to be ready. But this, this all is very specific, is what he says, which I thought was a really nice line. Like he has books on auto repair and celestial maps and how to like, fix it books. And he's like, it just seems really like narrow. But I just, I'm, I'm trying to be prepared. I'm trying to study to learn what to do, is what he actually says. That was a pretty cool line. Um, and the librarian says, you know what? We this here. Take the art of war. And again, we get the idea of, of Scott just being obsessed with this book. He reads it multiple times. He takes notes. He tries to start figuring out how to apply it. He gets picked on a little bit. Um, someone tries to take his book. They throw him down. His glasses fall off. He gets really emotional. And... We get the reveal of his power in a great page. It's mostly like blue and gray toned, except for the optic blast is a wide swath of bright red. It looks really great. Um, the only thing is he seems to knock the people over, which is fine, right? It's a concussive blast. It's not lasers. It's not heat. It's concussive. 
And then we also see, so it looks like he knocks the kids over, like one of their shoes fall off as they're flying through the air. And then they get up, and then behind him, there's like a hole in the wall that goes like three rooms deep. So either it just went over their heads or under them somehow and knocked them over. But it seems like if it's going to punch a hole in the wall, it probably would have killed these kids, which we don't necessarily want to see, but it's definitely not what happens. So there seems to be some variance or, I don't know, maybe the optic blast glanced off of them. Um, and of course the sound effect here is a scratch. That's one of the acceptable optic blasts. I'm a little partial to zapped <laughs> or scracked. But scratch is it's on the list. Um, anyway, Cyclops runs away and he hit, he, hits, he gets a ride. Hitchhikes like all the way to New York. And he... he there's a very Cyclops just Scott Summers personal foible where he realizes at some point in the drive that, oh, and I stole a library book, which is <laughs> so something that that especially a young Scott would be like, ah, oh, I broke the rules. And it kind of shows that rigid, you know, that stuffy Cyclops we get in the 60s, right? The stab my eyes. I have to be the perfect student, perfect soldier, perfect everything. So we see some of that too, right? We're seeing a lot of different personalities. Oh, sorry. That was probably loud. I apologize. I hit my headset. I got excited. Started talking with my hands. Um, but we see a lot of the differing personality traits of Scott kind of all rolled into one cohesive package in this book. It's really nice. Um, so yeah, he goes into the city and he sees some construction workers and they're in a some sort of suspended like cage trying to do some work and the cable breaks and Scott's internal struggle, right? I can do something and then people are going to see it. I don't know if I should. And we see the thing snap, it breaks, it's falling. And we see him fidgeting with his glasses and then finally one long horizontal panel he takes them off and then the bottom panel all the way across horizontally and it's probably I don't know, a fifth of the page is just a solid red rectangle it's awesome um, and then we jump forward several years to sometime in the 90s and this is our, our lonely Wolverine appearance so it's my excuse to talk about this issue um, he, Wolverine and Cable are doing something and Peter Corbeau is monitoring something and 90s uh, Havoc in the leather jacket is with X-Factor and then Reed Richards is there and then with Cyclops is Psylocke and Gambit and they're going to try to help rescue the other three Fantastic Four and Reed's like are you sure you don't really have a skin in this game and Cyclops is like no we're available and we're here to help and you know he it's funny because he, he we see the brilliant strategist right as he's giving everyone their assignments telling what to do, and then also that he's a general that leads by example, right? He says, alright, you got your orders, I'll see you out there. Great. Great. Man, if Cyclops was always like this, I would not... I would like him a lot more often. <laughs> and I do, I like Cyclops. I, I kind of joke sometimes um, about his terrible tendencies as a father. <laughs> and... Um, you know, stuff like that. Though, you know, some people have tried to salvage some of that. Um, but yeah, no, this is this is good Cyclops. Uh, and then Reed, yeah, Reed's like, you don't have to do this, like, but I do. Um, you know, a long time ago, I heard someone very smart say 
that you just follow your instinct and the rest will follow. You gotta trust your gut. And Reed says something interesting. He says, um, mm, yes, I'm familiar with that soundbite. Does it generally, in your experience, follow? Like, does stuff work out? And Cyclops, as he picks up his leather bomber jacket, indicative of, of early 90s, says, not always, but we keep trying. Um, and this is kind of where we end, as he kind of walk, starts to walk out a big X door in his jacket. He says, uh, I used to think that if I can do what you do, it would unlock the world. I'd learn to make sense of things. I would make sense. Mostly what I've learned is how wrong I was. But that is worth it anyway. It's a really, I don't know, really cool line. So the art in this book is really nice. It's kind of cartoony. In like a comic strip kind of way. But, but O'Halloran's colors are just really in-depth and emotional. Um, it's a nice, like it's not a super rich palette. But the hues are all really good. Um... This book looks fantastic, and it's very well written. Um, it really gives us a, a, a good glimpse into Cyclops that we don't always get, and it kind of sums up. It's kind of like everything you need to know about Cyclops and his motivation in one issue, and it's really cool. Um, I really enjoyed this. I, You know, I don't think it's necessarily... Like, there are a couple of things I was like, kind of scratch my head about and some things I need to go look up you know on Wikipedia or you know some other X-Men websites uh, to, to check on but so I'm not going to say it's like necessarily a perfect book but I enjoyed the heck out of it like a lot I loved it um, so I'm still going to go ahead and give it a 6 out of 6 claws I would highly recommend probably my favorite of these Marvel snapshot issues um, by, by a good breadth, probably. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend if you're a Cyclops fan, or even if you sometimes struggle with being a Cyclops fan, but you want to like him, um, this is a great issue to read. <laughs> and uh, catch up and kind of reignite your passion for the character, because it certainly did that for me. Um, so hopefully you all guys have got a chance to read it and liked it as much as I did, but obviously we would love to hear any thoughts you have, you can tweet those at me or leave comments on the on the Facebook page. Um, and speaking of all that, for the podcast that goes Nick, you can, of course, like the Facebook page. Follow me there. Twitter is at SnickCast. Uh, show notes and stuff for SnickCast.podbean.com. So, like I said, the alpha issue for Crossing Swords should be out. Um, and that's my crossover that I'm doing with some other great X-Men podcasts. Specifically, Homo Superior, X Reads Podcast, Comic Book Queers, and uh, House of X. And then I will also be making a guest appearance um, a little bit later in the fall on Homo Superior as part of the crossover. Uh, we're kind of alternating uh, guest appearances on that show as, as a crossover proper. Um, mine is sometime in November. I forget the exact date, but I know it. I'll be there, guys. Um and then, yeah, and then we'll do a uh, big episode again at the end, uh, kind of TBD. But so that's all coming down, and of course, you know, episodes of this podcast will keep on trucking this whole time um, with you at Scalabros, and hopefully really trying to get flashback stuff back online. I know I did really, really good with that for a large swath in the beginning of, of uh, the pandemic, and I've kind of had 
would have been a lapse uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, and I'll try to get that back on track for you guys as well. So that's going to do it for today. So until next time, everyone, please stay safe. Please stay well. Um, be smart. Take care of your families. Um, yeah. So hugs and snacks, guys. I'll talk to y'all later. Bye-bye. And snacked.